Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt Flagel. And I'm your other host, Kim Ward. Join us today as we cover part two of Dream Interpretation. The journey continues. And speaking of which, since this is part two, Kim, would you give us a brief synopsis of what we talked about in part one? So last time we were talking about dream interpretation, just kind of the basics and a little bit of my journey of what that looked like, learning how to interpret dreams in a way that didn't feel too complicated or scary because I think a lot of people, myself included, before I started doing this with you, I was like, this seems really hard and not something that just anyone can do. You better have a gift for that, or otherwise it's pointless to even try. Yeah, we just covered some of the basic stuff that you and I have gone through over the last couple years. And I appreciated that for you, you were calling yourself a newbie in this, and that (laughs) helped us just bring other people up to speed on, on on the basic practices that you've been learning. And now we can talk about some other things that we've been learning more recently. For instance... For years, I focused on being open to God presenting the title to me. And while doing that, just writing down the dream and then paying attention to the characters, how I felt about them, what I perceived about them. In recent years, location has become an important element that I didn't really pay attention to much in those early years of practicing interpretation. So, have you noticed anything or gotten anything significant out of the locations in your dream interpretations? I still tend to focus more on the people in the dreams just because th- those tend to be what to stand out more for me. But then again, there's definitely, I think, especially on the times where we've had where I've had multiple dreams close together, a lot of the times I'll see a, a, a theme at least for some reason a lot of my dreams tend to be on the water or involve water. I was just thinking about the two I had recently that I haven't had to talk to you about yet because I haven't had a chance to process them. There's definitely like a theme of like mountains or valleys in, in both. Well, it's interesting that you talk about mountains and valleys because, you know, recently I've talked to a friend who I haven't talked to in, in a few years. It's weird how that happens, right? Yeah. Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the reason why we reconnected was she had a dream about me and wanted to share that, that she came across me and my family in the desert, in the southern area of, of Las Vegas, like the south side of Las Vegas, which is where she lived at the time. And it was in the desert, but it was a, it was in the valley, right? Mm-hmm. It was surrounded by mountains, which is that, you know, the southern area of Vegas does have, have mountains. Yeah. And so she talked about these mountains looming over this valley. We were in the valley. She saw us there. And on the mountains themselves, there were these plateaus. And there were people on some of these plateaus. And in particular, one of the plateaus had a group of people standing around and a baptism, a baptismal, and even maybe a, tr- a new church building. That might have been a, diff- a couple different levels, one with the baptismal and one with the new church building, but 
It was interesting that she, you bring up, you know, the mountains and valleys because they were in that dream. And, and so, you know, I just asked her that these questions, like, in Scripture, what do mountains and valleys represent, especially when they're together? Mm-hmm. And she talked about, you know, valleys being a place of struggle and trial and hardship and mountains being a place where God's presence is seen more clearly. And the other location, you know, not only was it a valley, it was a desert. And I asked her, do you know what deserts in Scripture often signify? And what what they represent often is waiting and transition. Jesus, before he began his ministry, went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, a time of testing and waiting and preparation. The Israelites famously were in the desert before they got to the promised land and even more famously took another lap 40 years through the desert. It was a place of waiting. Moses waited and lived in the desert for 40 years. It was preparing him for the next season. And so I told her we didn't really get into what she was going through or what I was going through we just really got right away into the dream because that was the thing that brought us back together. So it was the conversation starter. And so when I begin to talk like this, you know, about these locations, and I said it basically it sounds like from just the locations, not even talking about us as people yet, that it's either like you're dreaming for you because oftentimes people in the dream represent some aspect of you, so the people that, you know, my wife and I and our kids that you meet are really some aspects of you in the desert, right? Or it is for me, but in either case, it sounds like either for both of us or for one of us that God is highlighting a season of waiting, of transition, of preparation in the desert, in the valley, and it's a struggle to wait, so it's a place of struggle but that the mountains surrounding it, are, they loom right over that valley as a promise that God's presence is there and in the waiting and in the struggle of transition, what is on the other side of that God is promising is a new season of being more in tune with his spirit and seeing the fruit of that, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us who we influence and in that case, even seeing new disciples made and baptized, like the baptism, you know, these yeah. plateaus. She told me, in just sharing that, that she had lost her job, that uh, the school, the college that she worked at, had closed the center where she was employed and given her severance to July. So she's for the first time in a long time in a season where she doesn't have to work. She has no work. She doesn't know what's coming. And so it's a lot of waiting. It's a transition. And it's preparation, but for what she doesn't know. And it's hard. She's used to doing things and working and being, you know, being busy, having a full schedule. And now that schedule is not full, at least when it comes to purpose, you know, things that she would look at and see as purpose. So, Clearly, the locations, well, they mattered. Yeah. They mattered to her with me not knowing anything about her story. 
at all, having not talked to her in years, this is what came out. So we were both very confident that what was being said was accurate. And it's accurate to scripture as well. So it's even then it's good to look at the at locations in scripture to understand what different places in scripture mean. Different environments, you know, what they mean because they can often be helpful in interpreting the dream. And to round it out, what, what was also helpful was to get back to the people. So I asked her, okay, I'm not looking for compliments when I ask this question. I'm not fishing for the compliments. I want honesty. When you saw me and my wife and my kids, so as individuals or together as a group, when you think of us, what kind of feelings come up? How do you, how do you feel about us? Or what do we mean to you? And I said, and it could be negative. You can, there could be negative aspects because we need to be honest about this so that we can correctly interpret what God is revealing through this dream. And she said, when I, when I think of your family, I, I always think of wisdom. Well, okay, that's nice to hear, right? <laughs> and for the dream, we were the ones in the valley. So what's interesting about that is is I believe what God was revealing to her in the waiting process, as hard as it can be, the challenges of being in transition and uncertainty, we don't like that. There's wisdom that comes from the waiting. And one of the things that rose up in me is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? This is what Scripture tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what we don't like is this idea of the fear of the Lord. Often we kind of resist that. That that doesn't feel good to think of the fear of the Lord and that that's something that brings wisdom. And people often talk about the fear of the Lord like, you know, that it's a place of reverence and awe. And that's true. And there's others that say, well, it's truly fear. Like, mm-hmm. to be in God's presence, He is to be feared. I say, we don't have to generate fear. We're, as a human race, we are fearful all the time, right? I mean, oh, yeah. we just, anything that is unknown, uncertain, I mean, we go right to fear, right? Oh, yeah. When an angel came to deliver God's message to people, they were afraid. That's just the way it was. So the fear of the Lord isn't the feelings of fear because we're always afraid. God shows up. We're scared. Moses, you know, goes before God. He's fearful. All of Israel sees the presence of God come down on Mount Sinai after they've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And they're freaking out so much, they're like, you go talk to God, Moses, we'll stay here. We are fear-filled people. We don't have to generate fear. It's not like we have to come before God and go, oh, I'm gonna, I need to get some fear and awe and reverence. We have fear. The question is, what do we do with our fear? Mm-hmm. That's the real indicator of the fear of the Lord. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, when God in his presence came into the garden, they ran and hid. They hid from his presence. Moses, in that moment where all of Israel was running and hiding from God like Adam and Eve, walked up that mountain. I mean, the mountain was shaking and trembling. I picture Mount Sinai like 
at that moment, like practically speaking, like a volcano just erupting, like Mount St. Helens from the 80s. And Moses walks up into that. It's a fearful thing. That's the presence of God on that mountain. It's a fearful thing. It's scary. It's terrifying to come into God's presence. But Moses moves into God's presence rather than away. So in our fear, what do we do? Do we run and hide from God in our fear? Shut down in our own thoughts, in, in our own emotions, in ourselves? Or do we move towards God in our fear and be honest with him about what we're feeling and thinking and allow him to speak into it? That second choice is the beginning of wisdom. Because when we come to God in our fear and confess it, God speaks the same message to us that he speaks throughout all of Scripture. In fact, this is the most given command in all of Scripture. Do not be afraid. When we come to him with our fear, the beginning of wisdom is there because we allow God to speak into the fear. We've given him the opportunity to speak into it. And what he's always telling us in our fear is not to be afraid. When we run and hide from God in our fear, we don't hear that message. We close down and we just stay hidden away with our fear in ourselves and we become an echo chamber of anxiety and fear. That's not wise. <laughs> to walk around completely closed off and locked up in our fear. But the fear of the Lord is to bring our fear to God and allow him to speak. And what he says is, do not be afraid. And so what's fearful in the valley, in the desert, in the struggle, in the transitions. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty. And when we wait in that place and invite God into our fears of, in, in the midst of uncertainty, he speaks and calms us, says, don't be afraid, and he calms us and allows us to keep waiting on him and become more sensitive to his presence and in the waiting, we become more wise and sensitive to God's presence and how to move with him, to see where he's working in us, see where he's working outside of us, and we can move forward. And so when that time of transition is over, we are way more sensitive to God's presence, and we can move with him into the new season. We can know when it is and how to move with him. And that's the message that came out of a dream. This is why dream interpretation is not something to be ignored. This is why the principle for me is if, if you wake up and you can remember your dream, that is God speaking. And so the first thing is to write it down. Yeah. Is there anything else, well, first of all, is there any other elements to, to, to location that comes to mind? I don't think so. I admit I got a little caught up for a moment because I was laughing. Immediately God brought the, the most, well, one of the two dreams can't remember if it was the first or the second and and I was laughing because in those dream in that dream the actual dangerous place in the dream was the mountain hmm. and the safe place was the valley <laughs> okay and I was like really God I hadn't even like thought about that or noticed it until you you start talking about it this time I was like that's weird so the, the part that should be safe is dangerous like the part that's good where you're like biblically where your presence is it is the part that, like, we get trapped <laughs> in. And then the part that was safe was actually the valley. That's where the, the family was. That was where good things were happening that we were sneaking away from. 
ironically. Oh wait, okay, so who's we? Sorry, so in the in the dream, long story short, well, to a point. Well, no, I mean tell to it. to a point. I managed. I actually managed to remember most of it, which is impressive. Yeah. Impressing me right now because I think this was the one I had a harder time writing down. Once again, my love of wolves. Another wolf shifting dream. I love being a shapeshifter. It's fun. Like, don't get to in this one. In your dream. In my dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I know. We're not talking about real life. No, <laughs> no, that'd be cool. Not talking about waking life. We're not talking about waking <laughs> life. But my active imagination likes that one a lot. Uh, anyway, so we're part of a pack. They're hyper protective of me, and I have like a guy who's like my best friend, and they are constantly trying to keep us apart because whenever we're together, we get in trouble because. I don't know, we're teenagers, it's what happens. And sometimes our friends will help us. So he's already out and about, and there's a pack boundary, and it matters. There's a what? A pack? pack boundary. There's like a boundary line. So packs have territories. Well, in this case, it matters. As long as you're in pack boundaries, you have to listen to the, the alpha, the one who's leading. And you literally, if he tells you to do something and you're in the pack boundaries, you have to listen. You don't have a choice. And so one of our friends sneaks me out in like a jeep or something off this narrow trail to meet my friend because like they'd gotten frustrated enough that they were keeping us very far apart the the leader's calling him on the cell phone in the car and we're like 10 feet from the boundary line he's like uh i can always stall so much because if he stalls too far the second he gets back he's gonna be in big trouble so he's like waiting to answer the the phone but he's like okay it's like the fifth ring I have to answer it I know we're not across the boundary line yet but so he st- he picks up the phone answers it but he's stalling and just as I can hear the, the leader go are you going outside the boundary lines we cross mm. but so anyways we make it out of the safe zone and so we're going up this valley and I'm supposed to meet him so he drops me off at the meeting point and we're halfway up a mountain and there's a couple people there and I'm like okay well, I know what my friend looks like when he shifted, and apparently we, we can look a little bit like dogs to people. Safety mechanism. Anyway, so I'm like, here, puppy, here, puppy! So, like, that they won't notice. And it's like, I see him coming up the trail. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's where he is. So we start going up the trail, and we're going up the mountain, and he just is rolling his eyes at me. He's like, this this look of, like, really? You just called me puppy? <laughs> you can tell I offended his male dignity. <laughs> Anyways, we're walking up, and we make it to this clearing, like, corner near the top. We hear a twig snap, and this lady walks out, and she looks kind of, like, grandmotherly and innocent and not remotely scary, and my friend immediately starts growling, and his hackles are raised, and I'm like, what's going on here? She's like, well, you have two options, dear. We're here for you, but if you fight us, we'll kill him, but if you go with us, we'll let him live. What? She's like, yeah, we've just been waiting for you guys to come out into the open where we'd have a chance to catch you before the alpha gets there. Mm. And, of course, then the dream ends <laughs> before mm. anything happens. So at mm. least I have to deal with that. But I was just like, okay, this is so weird. The place that was safe, we just couldn't seem to stick in. And I was in the valley, and then, you know, we'd go up the mountain to have fun and apparently walk right into a trap. Well, what do you think God is telling you in that? <laughs> I really haven't had any chance to process this, so this is fun. Well, yeah, this is the time. Uh, yeah, apparently. The only thing that kept popping up in my head is, as you and I know, I've got some transition stuff coming. In typical me fashion, I've been freaking out to no end. 
because it's scary and I haven't gotten quite a clear yes or no just a here here's the next step and it feels a little bit like I was like you were bored you were constantly trying to escape the place where you were meant to be in this season no the, the valley was actually the good spot for you there's there's times and seasons that the mountain is where you're supposed to be but you were actually escaping from the very thing that was maybe preparing you or keeping you safe because there's nothing like jumping ahead and then falling flat on your face it's like look you're treating the valley as if it's something to escape from instead of it being a place for preparation Ecclesiastes is it 4 chapter 4 it says there's a time for everything time to embrace a time to refrain from embracing right Mm -hmm. so there's that element of timing Mm-hmm. And God's presence is in the place of timing. And we can we can go our own way, as yeah. the Fleetwood Mac song says. I'm dating myself there. But, you know, God's presence is moving in a direction, and we are called to stay with him in that. And even when something is good, like you said, it might not be the time for that. And so that's when something that's good becomes something bad, when we try to jump into something too soon. God prepares your character to be at a place, at a level, to handle the circumstances. If we are to go into heavier circumstances than our character is ready for, those circumstances will crush us. So literally just today, I was... uh watching a little bit of a, a YouTube interview between Levi Lesko, who pastors Fresh Life Church, and an artist whose name I have trouble pronouncing, Brooke something. But anyway, so she literally had a new CD coming out the same time that Levi just had a book coming out, which I'm getting delivered tomorrow, um, called Last Supper on the Moon. And it's talking about the, the first landing on the moon, and then it's also tying into The Last Supper. I haven't gotten to read it yet, so I don't know all the details. But in the interview, the part I caught before I kind of <laughs> bailed, he was talking about how literally the ground that the um, spacecraft had to be drug over with the special crawler machine that they had, had to be reinforced down to like, something like ridiculous, like 30, 40 feet. They had to put reinforcements down that far in order for the ground to not buckle when the spaceship was being transported over it. If they hadn't done all that preparation, then literally the ground wasn't strong enough to carry the weight that it was about to to be put through. I don't know, just what you were talking about made me think of that. Think about even the presence of God, or the glory of God, kavad often can be translated weight, mm-hmm. like a weight to it. To be with God where he is in the pla- in the valley, in the, in the uncertainty, in the waiting, is the place of, of being open. Like when we are there, we're often more open and dependent on him than when we go into the good times. Mm-hmm. And to be more open to God's glory his weight and become open to that stretches us and, and allows us in a spiritual sense to be more present to his heavy weight and be open to allowing him to carry us and be carried, carry that presence with us 
so that when we go into heavier circumstances or busier seasons or more, you know, fuller seasons, we are stronger with the weight of God's glory and prepared for those things. We have a primary example in Scripture is Israel coming out of slavery were not prepared for the promised land. How did God help them prepare in that desert environment? He kept his presence with them in a visible way. A pillar of a cloud pillar by day and a pillar of fire by night. So when that pillar moved, they moved with it. When that pillar stopped, even if it was for days, weeks, months, they were to stop with it. And to go outside of that was bad. To move ahead of that pillar or drag behind that pillar was bad. That was the presence of God. So what we're talking about is mankind, we think we know what's best, right, from Adam and Eve. Things look good to us. Like that fruit in the garden looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. It looks good to us. And we can jump into it and take a bite of something that will ruin us. And so there are things like the mountaintop experiences that at the wrong time still look good, but they're not because God is actually not there. He's in the valley. And we've jumped from the valley to the mountain and we have circumvented God's timing and we suffer for it. And like Israel wants to not enter when it's time to enter or try to enter when it's not time, we end up back in the desert again for an extended season to learn and grow to be ready. It's not that God is withholding from us, he's preparing us. He never withholds, but he gives us what we can handle and nothing more and nothing less. As John the Baptist said, a man can only receive mm. what has been given to him from heaven. And so what's really good about that is that God is giving us exactly what we need when we need it. And if we don't have what we think we need, then we really don't need it. And we this is part of this whole idea of waiting. Mm. We fight against not having what we think we should have. And yet God says, trust me that I've given you everything you need for right now. Mm. And if you don't have it, you don't need it yet. This is the beauty of self-control. We often think of self-control in, in, a, in negative terms. Uh, what I mean is we think of self-control in terms of I need self-control to resist this temptation, mm-hmm. to not give in to this temptation. But God is a God of self-control and that he holds back the fullness of who he is to give us just the amount of him that we need for a moment. Because God's love is infinite. I mean, think of the infinitude of God's love. I liken it to a million billion suns. And if we were to come and be exposed to that in these finite bodies to the fullness of God's love, we would evaporate in the, the fiery passion of God's love for us. His self-control, knowing where we are, he gives us just enough of his presence to the point we can handle it. And then in the preparation, he strengthens us by little by little, helping us grow stronger to be able to handle the heavier weight of his glory. And so these times of waiting and transition are absolutely important, absolutely vital 
for our growth and journey and self-control to be present with God, to receive all of who he is to the point that we can handle now and not want more is a godly quality of self-control. God has self-control withholding his goodness to the, just to the level that we can handle it. And then he asks us to wait with him. And as we do, we grow stronger in being able to handle more of his presence. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, we got all that <laughs> just from locations. That's the fun of dreams. And obviously, you and I have been doing this for a while. Yeah. So this is, how, this is how we've grown. The very same principle. We've grown into this. Yeah. But if, if you're listening to this and you'll practice this, you'll grow into it as well, little by little. And it's amazing how this, how dream interpretation also strengthens you in being sensitive to God's presence and grows you and prepares you for what's coming. As you just said in your, in your dream, how it's helping you wait. Yeah. I don't know about you, if there's anything else on your end. When it comes to dream interpretation? Yeah. There is one more thing about dreams and locations what we just talked about is incredible, the waiting and transition. And this kind of plays into it, I guess. I'm in a season of feeling like I'm in transition. And I've had a dream that I wrote down that I just avoided, you know, processing it. And I didn't even know why this particular dream, I didn't really want to sit with it. But what the dream was about basically was me driving around a, a town that was a blend of Woodbury a town I lived in as a kid in Connecticut and a blend of San Luis Obispo where I live now. And I was searching for an office where I could have clients come and sit and meet with them in either coaching, spiritual direction, whatever form of discipleship they needed from me. So in the dream, I'm using other people's office space I don't have my own space. I'm in other people's space, and I'm driving around looking for my own office space. The sense in the dream is searching. That's the main theme, an unsettled sense of searching and looking for something that will make me feel at home, having my own space, my own office space. When I finally got to the point of obeying God and processing this dream, the big thing that came to me was, again, the location. And in this case, God was highlighting why Woodbury was mixed in with San Luis Obispo. The question I heard him asking me to focus on was, what does Woodbury mean to me? Woodbury was the town in Connecticut where my my grandmother lived. When my parents divorced, when I was very, very young, five or six years old or seven or wherever it was, my dad and my sisters and I We moved in with my grandmother, my dad's mom, for a year. So Woodbury was a place of transition. So the location, again, was a place of waiting and transition. As I began to understand what Woodbury represented, it was clear in the dream I wasn't accepting the transition. And as I thought about that and God revealed that, the scripture that came out was Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. 
and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents, transition, right, not solid, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God was reminding me of as like the land of Israel was for Abraham, this town, this place I live in, is called my land of inheritance. You know, God very clearly called me to move here, and when I obeyed, after that first year, I had this moment. I was sleeping peacefully, two, three in the morning, and I hear, Kurt, Kurt! Like, so insistent, and I'm a heavy, heavy sleeper. I normally do not wake up, and it woke me up. And when I woke up and realized my wife was still sleeping, my kids were still sleeping, there was no burglar in my house, that this was the voice of God. It took me three days of wrestling to get to the point that I recognized it was God and be open enough to hear what he was trying to say to me through that disruption in my sleep by you know, crazily calling my name. He said, I want to make a covenant with you. All of your other seasons of ministry have been seasons, and that's it. They've just been seasons. This is not another season. This is the rest of your life. So here's the covenant I want you to make with me. If you will live here in this town for the rest of your life, then I will do what's in your heart to do. I will make you into a disciple-making movement that spreads to every city, every state, and every country in the world because that's what I'd been praying before I even moved here. It was like, God, if you're calling me to move there, this is what I'm asking you. You've called us to be disciple-makers, right? That's what every Christ follower is called to be, a person who, who... replicates themselves, who invests in other people relationally so that they then know the love of God as we reflect it to them in a relational sense and then they go do the same for others, right? And that's really just how God has shown me that making disciples works is just teaching people to listen for his voice like I do and obey what he says like I do, you know, not perfectly in any of that, but I do that. And so he's like, the only thing that you have to do in this covenant is stay here. That's it. Just like Abraham, all he was told is stay in the land. And God's like, if you will stay here in St. Louis, I will make you into a disciple-making movement that spreads everywhere like you've asked. When he woke me up, I was leading a church community. I had a job, you know, all that. Now I'm in a season where... All of this I do, I don't make any money. I just trust God for the finances and people send money and circumstances work out where God provides. But sometimes it gets pretty darn scary and I freak out. And I feel very unsettled. I feel like I need to be searching for something more permanent. And so Woodbury felt like that place of transition, you know, like that place of unsettled transition where I'm looking for something more for some kind of solid thing to hold on to. Like he told Abraham in Hebrews 11, I am your solid foundation. Just trust me what I say and move with me. That's all the solid foundation you need is rest in me relationally. You know, trust me and I'll give you rest. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest for your souls. For I am humble and lowly in spirit. So... 
The cool thing that I noticed for the first time through this dream getting that verse again is the second part that I've never focused on. So there's something even more, a nuance that's really cool. As it says, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. God just gave me a new element to really focus on. Kurt, this isn't just about you. It's about your kids. Watching you trust me when there's no income coming in. Trusting that I will keep the promise I made to you in dramatic fashion. That's affecting your kids and their heirs of the same promise. That if they will listen to me and obey, I will also continue that disciple-making movement through them. You're making disciples, whether you realize it or not, out of your own kids as they watch you. Even when they struggle in their faith, your faithfulness and trusting me, staying here and allowing me to provide for your means without any discernible income source in this season of transition over the last couple of years is affecting your kids in a positive way, how they will trust me, and you are creating heirs that will walk in greater trust than you will, which is all I really want for my kids is them to grow to trust God even more. I want them to climb on my shoulders and jump off and go even further in their relationship. I want them to someday say to me, Dad, I've matured farther than you in my walk. That would be the ultimate win. That's what I hope for everyone I disciple, everyone who hires me as a coach and every client everyone who hires me as a spiritual director, every client. I want that for every person. And God is saying, this is where it comes as you trust me that I am your living foundation when you don't seem to have anything solid to, tr- to, to hold to, hold to me because I'm more solid than anything else you can depend on. I will continue to provide for you. And as you trust me, you will see your kids and other people become heirs of the same promise I've given to you to be at the center of a disciple-making movement. What more could I ask for? That's rich. And all that it came out of the location of the dream. Well, they say location, location, location. Exactly. Since you just gave us the subtitle of this episode, why don't you close us out with prayer? Why don't you pray for those, especially who are in transition and periods of transition and periods of waiting? Well, since you asked while we're recording. (laughs) Dad, thank you that you are always speaking to us. Thank you that dreams are one of the ways you speak to us, Father, and it's not just for those who are super spiritual or super mature, Dad, but that you invite all of us to just ask you, what it is you're trying to say to us. Dad, and for those listening that are going through seasons like Kurt and I of transition and change and waiting, that's not an easy season to be in in a lot of ways. We as people very much like to know, or at least think, that we know what's going on. Dad, sometimes it's so hard to give up control to you and to honestly walk out the trust that you ask of us to trust that you are good and that you really do know what is best for us, that you have good plans for us to prosper us and to not harm us. 
that I just ask for everyone listening that we would take the time to come to you with our doubts, with our fears, with our struggles, that we wouldn't try to pretend to ourselves or to you that we're doing fine when we're not. Dad, thank you that you are the safest person ever. You, you delight in us coming to you with everything. Stas asks that you would give us the courage to be honest and vulnerable with you first and with ourselves. And Dad, thank you that you've promised that you will answer, that you are faithful and that you don't change. Lord, thank you that we can trust that every good and perfect gift is from you. And all we have to do is open our hands and receive what you have for us. Dad, we believe. Help our unbelief that we receive. Help us overcome our resistance. Dad, ask these things for my brothers and sisters and the power and authority that you've given us as your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good stuff. Yep. Dreams are always fun to process. Oh, yeah. Till they're not. Till they're not. But they're always, in the end, they're always good. Because God is always good. So we have to be on the journey to discover Mm -hmm. the goodness, even when we go through some rough stuff in the dreams. So thank you for being on the journey of recording these two parts with me, Kim. Well, you know, anytime. I'll take you up on that, and we'll talk again soon. And please know you can reach out to us with any of your questions, your prayer requests, or if you need help because you're feeling stuck in some area of your life. I am a coach for transformation that helps people move forward on their journey. If you want more information or you want prayer or you have questions, you can email me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. And as always, remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.